around. We're going to keep our series going. Um, and like I've said before, this term, this spring term, we're looking at 10 questions every teen should know and answer about Christianity. So each week we're taking a different question about different topics and looking at what the scriptures and how Jesus or others uh, might answer these questions. And the goal, like I've said, is, is, is so that, like this quote says, that each of us must think carefully for ourselves about what we believe. So just taking some time and thinking carefully about the most relevant questions that people have your age, uh, that I think have your age, and answering them. So helping you formulate what you believe. And if you disagree with what the scriptures teach, that you may know what you disagree with and why. Um, so um, you can bring those before God and, and, and have Him search your heart. Um, and uh, tonight we're going to look at the question of, can't we just be good without God? And this question underneath it has a few other questions, right? This question of, can, can I just be good without God is a question of morality, right? It's, it's asking what's the difference between good and evil or good and bad. And it's asking the question of, yeah, how do you know what's considered good and how do you know what's considered bad? And, and, and who, who not just what are these things, but who says these things? So it's a question of authority. Who ultimately has the say to tell you what is considered good, what is considered bad? And by good and bad, we mean morality, right? Is there such a thing as absolute moral truth? And if there is, who decides who that absolute moral truth is? Who has the right to tell you what to, to do and how to behave? Is it the government? Is it your parents? Is it God? Is it, is it yourself, right? Are you alone the ultimate authority of, of good and bad in your own life, in your own mind, or, or who? It's a question of authority. And lastly, it's a question of trust. Because when you have conflict, right, when your word is different and what you believe is different than what your parents are telling you to do, right, it's a question of whose word do you trust more? Do you trust your own or do you trust your parents? Uh, when you live a, uh, your life and you're uh, confronted with the scriptures about what it means to live a life devoted to God and that's different uh, than what you're currently doing, it's a question of who are you trusting? Are you trusting your own word, your own idea of what it means to live the good life, the moral life? or whatever it may be, or are you looking and trusting in God's Word to tell you what to do? So those are the questions underneath the question. The question of morality, a question of authority, and a question of trust. And this question assumes four things, right? When we ask this question, and when people ask this question about Christianity, it's assuming four things. The first is this, is that we can exist without God, right? The question of, of can't we just be good without God assumes that we don't need Him, that we can figure out life on our own, we can figure out morality on our own, we can figure out goodness and flourishing on our own, and therefore we do not need to live with God. Secondly, it assumes that we know what is good with outside intervention or definition, that within us is the answer to the question of what is good, is that we have inherent goodness that we can just figure out and decide, not that we need somebody from the outside, God or government or authority, to tell us what is good and what is bad. Thirdly, it assumes that goodness is an achievable status. It assumes that you could live a good life, whatever that may be. Fourthly, that goodness is defined in relationship to other people or on horizontal terms, not in light of your relationship to God or vertical terms. What does this mean? Well, people can be good, right? If you define good as better than most people, right? Uh, I had a lot of friends who um, you know, grew up in church, and they would say that they thought they would get to heaven because they were better than other people. They didn't realize that their, their, their goodness would be trusted 
Uh, they trusted in Jesus for his goodness to uh, his righteousness and not their own. Right? So they assume that even if they grow up in church, they still have this moralistic view of God. And that as long as they're better than other people around them, they don't kill people, they don't steal from people, that they'll just be okay and they'll go to heaven. Right? So this assumes that goodness is defined in relational terms, not in horizontal terms in relationship to God, which is what I would call righteousness. So when the Bible talks about goodness, it really is talking about righteousness. What does it mean to live a life that is right standing before God, not necessarily right standing before others? Because oftentimes, in different points in history, you can live right standing before others, but be very far from God. Right? If you lived in Nazi Germany, and you're part of the Nazi party, it would be okay for you to arrest and kill Jews. You would be living in right standing within moral terms of your society. But we all know, all these years later, that that is not okay, right? And that is not what it means to live right standing before God and His sta standard for what's, what it means to live uh, the good life. Uh, the, the book that I'm uh, pulling some of these questions from, she says this, What is the difference between good and evil? And who gets to decide? Is there even such a thing as good and evil? Or we all just get to decide it for ourselves? You might say, surely everyone knows the difference between good and evil. Whether we are Christian or Muslim or Hindu or atheist, we can all agree on the basics. God is treating everyone as equal, caring for the people who are suffering, loving people who are different from us, and not hurting anyone. Bad is like racism, bullying, starting wars, and killing babies. Easy. We all think this is obvious, but if we look at the teachings of Jesus, we find that it is not that simple, right? That it isn't as simple as there's this buffet line of morality that we just take our plate through and scoop. I want green beans and mac and cheese and fried chicken. We have this plate of what it means to be good, which is what a lot of people assume. You just kind of go to Buddhism and you find what's good there. You pull it and you put it on your, your morality plate and you find what's good about Christianity, what Jesus teaches. And you put it in your, in your, and then, you know, whatever. And you just kind of have this, this buffet, this plate of morality. That, that's kind of the, the, the secular view of what it means to be good. But really, what Jesus and what God and the Scriptures teach is something very different. Because it's not about good, it's about righteous. Who is God? How did He create you? And what does it mean to live in light of that relationship? And how does that affect other, other, other people? And uh, when I think about the question uh, that we're asking, can't we just be good without God, I'm reminded of Romans 5. So I'm going to read this to you, these, these, uh, sh these verses, and then I'll pray and we'll dive in. Romans 5, 6-11 through 11 says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word to us tonight. Forgive us for thinking that we can be good without You. That we can, we can muster up our own goodness, our own righteousness, to stand before you on that day of judgment and think that we would be okay. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you've looked upon our helpless estate. And while we are weak, 
And while we were ungodly, you sent Christ to die for us, your enemies, to reconcile us to yourself through faith. I do pray that you would help us to not only have this truth and hold this truth for ourselves, but to live this truth and witness to other people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we just be good without God? You know, this uh, Romans 5.8 is a really great verse. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were in this estate of weakness, of helplessness, of ungodliness, Christ died for us. I uh, lived uh, in Lexington. I did college ministry for a number of years, which a lot of you know that at the University of Kentucky, and I would often have the privilege of sharing the gospel with people who didn't grow up in church or who didn't believe in Christianity. And it's hard to convince people that they're sinners. (laughs) It's hard to convince people that they're in need of a Savior. It's hard to convince people that they're not good and that if if they want to get to heaven, then they can't trust in their own ability, but must trust in the ability of somebody else. The central teaching of the Christian faith, yes, is that Jesus died for us, but for what reason? Because we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't act our way to heaven. We couldn't do the goodness or live the righteousness required that God demands so that we can spend eternity with Him. And it's hard to talk to somebody about that who doesn't believe in that and to convince them, like I said, that they are in need of a Savior. I would often use this illustration. I would say, hey, person, hey, student on campus, uh, if on a scale, do you believe in heaven? Yeah, I believe in heaven. I think that there's a life after death, you know, and I said, well, on a scale from zero to 10, zero being the least likely that you're going to get in and 10 being the most likely that you're going to get in, what would you give yourself? And you know what everybody would always say? I'm not kidding. Everybody would always say a six. Always. Because it's like, uh, if, a f- if I say four, that means I'm not going. If I say five, that means that I'm not really doing, I don't really know. But if I say six, it's just, it's just enough for, to get this guy to quit talking to me right? Yeah, I think I'm okay enough to do, I've done enough good things, or I'm better than other people, and therefore God should let me in. But really, when it comes to what the scriptures teach, it teaches that we are, we are two identities. Either we're in Adam or we're in Christ. Either we're, we're sinners or we're righteous. And this, this, this status that we have isn't based upon what we do, but who we trust in. So it's either a zero or a ten. You get that? Either I don't trust in Christ, and I'm not going to heaven, or I trust in Christ's work for me on the cross and therefore have full confidence that I'm going to heaven because He is the one who is I am trusting in. It is His goodness, His morality, His righteousness that that I am trusting in that has been what the word we call imputed or given to me or covered with me, that covers me, and because of that, I can go to heaven. And that's the, the, when we talk about the question of, can we just be good without God? The answer is, according to the scriptures, no. You can't. You can't do enough good things to get your way to heaven. You can't do enough good things to make God love you or like you or accept you. It's either you're helpless or you're trusting in Christ. Either you're a one or a zero. The skill has one, but a zero or a ten. For God shows his love for us in this. He recognizes that you can't be good enough. He recognizes that you can't do enough good deeds to earn His favor, to earn your way to heaven. And even though you were in this helpless estate, even though you were still weak, as it said in the beginning of this passage, right? 
What does that mean that you're weak? That you can't lift, you can't do bicep curls, that you can't do push-ups or pull-ups? No. It means morally weak, unable to save yourself, that you are cursed like Adam, and you cannot live the life that God requires that he created you to live. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Tim Keller in his uh, book, Prodigal God, which is a really good book, says this, If you think goodness and decency is the way to merit a good life from God, you will be eaten up with anger since life never goes as we wish. Um, you know, my kids do this all the time. They want something from me, so they do something good in order to think that they'll get that good thing, right? So uh, if Owen wants a sucker uh, for a special treat, a second special treat when he's already had his special treat, he'll try to do something to win my favor or to win Addie's favor so that he can get that second special treat, right? You, you get this. It's so simple, right? Well, when he does that good thing, and I say, no, son, you can't have that second special treat because you've already had a special treat. How do you think he responds? He's not happy. But I did this thing for you, Dad. I'm angry at you because I did this thing, and I expect payment in return. A lot of us treat God that way. God, I'm going to pray to you every day this week because I want this girl to like me. <laughs> or, God, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to read my Bible every day and go to church every Sunday for 52 Sundays straight because I really want to get into this college. And then guess what happens when you don't get into that college? Guess what happens when that girl doesn't like you? Who do you blame? God, right? You say, God, I did these things for you. Why don't you love me? Why don't you give me what I want? Well, in this quote, it says, if you think your goodness and decency is the way to merit a good life from God, you will be eaten up with anger. Do you see the connection? Why? Because it's all about you. It's all about what you do. It's called self-righteousness which is the most offensive thing to God. It's the most offensive thing to Jesus. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. Jesus hung out with the lowest of the low because they knew that they were low and that they needed help. You know who Jesus, you know who was repulsive to Jesus? The Pharisees, the religious elite who thought that their good deeds merited their favor before God. And then when God stood right before them, they didn't even recognize them because they were so blinded by their own self-righteousness. We think that we're good, but Jesus redefines an understanding of goodness. Not, I'm better than you, but I cannot match up to what God, the standard by which God has invited me and created me to live. Therefore, I am helpless and I'm in desperate need of a Savior. Well, guess what? When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. People can be good, right? I can be better than you. I can try really, really, really hard to be better than my neighbor. But what am I filled with? Pride, arrogance. People can be good, but no one is righteous. No one can work their way to heaven. If you could, then why would Jesus have come? Secondly, God opposes the proud. You know why? Because the proud oppose God. If you think, if you're self-reliant, and you really are trusting in yourself to have favor before God, or so that God gives you what you, what you desperately want, right? God opposes you. Because you're saying, Jesus, I don't need you. Thanks for dying on the cross and living that example for me, but I don't need you. I can save myself. God opposes the proud, 
the self-reliant and the self-righteous. And that's some verse 4-6. I don't know. I don't know what that, I guess I forgot the part, <laughs> what, what that reference is. James, that's James 4-6. That's what that is. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, hands down. If you're a Christian, it's because you were lost. Lost. That you needed saving. That you were sick, spiritually sick. There's no room for you to think you're better than other people. You're desperate. That's the core belief of humanity, when it, one of the core beliefs of Christianity. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Right? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. All that God is concerned with is your heart, your faith. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust His Word? Do you trust that when He says, the good life is this, do you really trust Him? That the good life is to listen to your parents. That the good life is to trust each moment that He is calling you to reflect His image, His beauty to the person next to you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not just faith in salvation, but faith in every single moment. Faith of what it means to be a good spouse one day, to be a good parent one day, to be a good neighbor one day, to be a good teacher, to be a good doctor, to be a good lawyer, to be a good businessman, businesswoman, salesman, saleswoman, whatever it is, right? Good is defined by God's terms, not by your own. Can we just be good without God? But God shows His love for us in this, and that way we're still sinners. Christ died for us. This is the painting of um, Van Gogh's The um, the, um, the Good Samaritan. Um, if you all know the story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, it's in Luke, and, and, and I think it's elsewhere too. It's slipping my mind. But uh, the Good Samaritan is a story of this guy who was, uh, who was on the road, who was on a journey, and he gets beaten up uh, and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest walks by and doesn't help him. Uh, a Levite walks by, doesn't help him, which is another religious leader of the Jewish community. And then a Samaritan walks by. Samaritans were despised by Jews. They were like, if you know, like Harry Potter, they were, what's the half, what are they called, half? They're muggles. They were the, Samaritans were the muggles of the biblical story, right? Um, Half-bloods, half-bloods. Muggles have no blood. Blood, blood, blood. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the clarity, right? Uh, they were, ha- right? They were, they, they were in, intertwined with different, right? They, they weren't fully uh, the blood of Abraham, right? So they weren't. They were considered racial and uh, outsiders to the Jewish people. And the Samaritan sees this guy on the side of the road, and he picks him up and you know, uh, cleans up his bandages, his wounds, and pays for his time at the inn. And I love this depiction that Van Gogh has. One, because of the movement. I, I, I just think, I don't know if any of you like Van Gogh or into this kind of stuff. I think he's one of the most brilliant painters in the history of painters. The way that he can paint and you can like see movement even though things aren't moving. But I love this because... You, see that you can see how to, to love somebody in this way, right? You see the struggle of how, how he's getting this lifeless body up on the, on the donkey. And you see how close he is and how intimate it is, right? It wasn't just like he bandaged this guy from a distance and, and said, all right, get on your way, right? He was all over this person. And why that's significant in the story of the Good Samaritan is because priests and Levites were the religious leaders of that day and their religious laws against touching uh, touching dead bodies or sick bodies, that you yourself would become unclean if you touched an unclean body. So you have this, they, them walking past this unclean body, and they don't help him because they're afraid of themselves of becoming 
religiously unclean, right? So they leave this guy to die. But the Samaritan isn't, doesn't care about, about the mess. He doesn't care about being touched and being uh, labeled as unclean. What he cares about is this guy who's dying on the side of the road, and he's putting away his, his reputation. He's putting away this, this idea of being seen as unclean by his neighbors, and he helps this guy. And, and if you can't see, this is the priest of the Levite walking away, right? He's unconcerned. Um, and in the painting, right, there's just, he's just unnoticed, right? This is what God cares about, right? He does, this is, anyway, he's a good painter. He knows what he's doing. Henry Nouwen in The Selfless Way of Christ says this, the basis of all ministry, or of love, right, of, of, of embodying goodness that God demands, the basis of all ministry is the experience of God's unlimited and unlimiting, unlimiting acceptance of us as beloved children. An acceptance so full, so total, and all-embracing, it sets us free from our compulsion to be seen, praised, and admired, and frees us for Christ who leads us on the road to service. Do you catch what he's saying there? He's saying when you are who are dead in your sins and your trespasses are made alive in Christ and called His beloved son and daughter and are seen by the God of the universe, it frees you to actually be good. To be good as defined as following the way of Christ, which is defined as dying to yourself for the flourishing of somebody else. That you're not like the priest or the Levite, concerned with not being, being seen as unclean or unholy or unwhatever, right? Unmoral, immoral. You're not concerned with worldly opinions and the acceptance of men because you're accepted by God. And because you're accepted by God, you want to involve yourself in His mission of healing this broken world and restoring all things. Self-sacrificial service is the greatest good. And none of you can live self-sacrificial lives until you've experienced the self-sacrificial grace of God in Jesus. You can try your best to love your enemies. You can try your best to empty yourself. But you will never be able to be able to live that kind of goodness because that kind of self-sacrificial goodness is not a part of this world. It can't be learned from within or seen by somebody else. It has to be given to you by God, by His Spirit, which is the benefit of salvation, is that by His Spirit, He equips you because you're not concerned with what people think about you or how you might be perceived by, by somebody. It frees you to genuinely self-sacrificially love others, which is the greatest good. Also, too, self-sacrificial service often breaks cultural norms. Do we see here the Samaritan man? We also see John for Jesus and the Samaritan woman. If you were, uh, if this is a part of your church, or since he's your church home and you were at the service on Sunday, right? The Walter talked about this. Jesus broke so many cultural norms. Jesus was not called good in his day. I don't know if you know that, right? What happened to him? He was, he was given the punishment of a criminal, right? He was punished and, and he went to death on a cross, right? That wasn't because he was good, because people thought he was terrible. 
They couldn't believe the way that he loved and his goodness that he lived out was scandalous in the world around him. Jesus breaks cultural norms. And therefore, when we follow him on the road of service, we too will often break cultural norms. Self-sacrificial service um, exists from friends to enemies. Um, you know, there, it's the craziest thing to love your enemies. Like, honestly, think about that. Like, think of somebody who's done you really wrong, right? Somebody who's treated you the worst you could ever be treated. And Jesus calls you to love them? Or maybe nobody's done you wrong. Just think about the person you don't like. Who's, like, what kind of person rubs you wrong for whatever reason? Maybe that's your enemy. God calls you to get over that and love them. That's the greatest good from friends to enemies, self-sacrificial service, because of what Jesus does for us. Uh, we'll, we'll close with this quote from uh, McLaughlin's book. Time and time again, Jesus looked out for people no one else bothered with. Sick people, poor people, people of different races, women, culture, children, people others thought were too sinful to be loved by God. He cared for, for them and welcomed them. And he taught his followers to do the same. So can we go without God? No. But what happens when we do trust in God? He makes us good. He doesn't just give us a good status, the, the status before God to be righteous in our standing before God, but also to live righteously, which is defined in its highest calling as not, you know, I'm just really, really pure and, and morally good person like the Pharisee or the, the religious elite that Jesus rebuked, but you see the needs of those around you and you give yourself, your reputation, your resource, your time, your energy for those in, in need. So no, you can't be good without God. You can't. And uh, if you think you can, do that for 30 more years. And in 30 years, I'm, I want to find you. I'm going to ask you, how's it going for you? How's this good life treating you? Is it everything that you hoped it would be? Because I guarantee you it won't be. Because when you try to live this moral life, you think that everybody owes you something because of how good you are. But guess what? People don't owe you nothing, and they won't owe you anything. Only God can give you what you are longing for, the good life, which is defined not by in how good you are, but in how good your trust is. Is it in Jesus or is it in something else? In yourself or in somebody else's opinion of you? And when you trust in Jesus, He really does invite you to the good life, a life in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for um, Paul's words all those years ago, captured in Romans 5, that give such a beautiful depiction of the gospel and the benefit it has for us, for those who believe. Father, at the right time, in our, moral, in our weak morality, in our inability to live righteously, you died for us. You came to save the sick. You came to heal those who cannot heal themselves. Help us to, to live that. Help us to believe that. Help us to die to ourselves, our reputations. Help us to quit working so hard to be seen by people. And help us to trust in the rest you provide in Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.